We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I'd like you to look at Proverbs chapter 12. The name of this sermon is called Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. It's a very simple message, and it's about crime. Um, to be a criminal, you have to deceive going in so as not to be caught. And then to evade capture, you have got to lie. So it's not just about liars. It's about all that is the foundation of godless, illicit, and criminal activity. We have had numbers of people at Denton Bible that have done hard time in prison that uh, knew what was right but fell into it. And so this text, uh, verse 19 through 24, is about crime. Now, um, just to catch you up with the, the, the stream of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 9 talked about the philosophy of wisdom. Whenever you're talking about something being right or wrong, the question is raised, says who? And how do we know what they say? Well, Proverbs 1 through 9 talks about that wisdom comes from the God of creation, that he designed all that is reality. As one man said, there is nothing in this universe of which God cannot say, that is mine. He is sovereign. He is the Lord of hosts. And so, I'm sorry, wisdom begins with the mind of God. What does he say is true? Wisdom is to live in keeping with the mind of God. The Puritans used to say that wisdom is to think the thoughts of God after him. And then you go from, you know, how do we know what is true? Because God, how do we know? Because he has spoken. And so God and his word, are the, that's the light of our life. And then you go into chapter 10 and following, and it's about the application of wisdom. And like in the uh, Zondervan Study Bible, almost every chapter has a, a note over it that says, contrast of the upright and the wicked. That in the application of wisdom, it is not difficult. There are two line sermons in every verse, and it will contrast. This is right. This is wrong. This is what happens to the right. This is what happens to the wrong. You can't miss it. It's very simple. And so, Proverbs 18.4 says this, the, the words of men are like deep waters. You can't see the bottom. When some man or woman tells you something, you're not completely sure sometimes about what they're saying. The words of men are like deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom, Proverbs says, is a bubbling brook. I know what it means when it says that. It's very clear. It's very simple. A child can follow it. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 19. It tells you that liars will be silenced by God, but the lips of wise men will speak on into eternity. It says, truthful lips will be established forever. The lying tongue is but for a moment. To be a liar is the foundation of all criminal activity. If you're going to be a criminal, a deceiver, a con man, a murderer, a thief, uh, you have to begin with lying. You have to conceal your evil uh, and then to evade capture. You have to make sure your DNA doesn't get down there. We don't have fingerprints on you, that there's no witnesses that see you, that you have an alibi. And so a lying tongue 
is but for a moment. That's the foundation of all criminal activity. You ever heard the term, crime does not pay? It doesn't have a success. It, when you commit the crime, you might run it on out to the end and have momentary elation, but it doesn't pay. Ultimately, we will find you out. And so, to be a criminal, to commit your crime, to evade capture, you have to be a liar. You've got to be a deceiver. You've got to be not straight up, but crooked to do this. And then you have to face God who knows what is true, and they will be silenced. That is why in the Bible, evil men don't ultimately succeed, and they don't die well because they are found out. But truthful lips, they will be established forever. That's why when you get to the end of your Bible, it is basically two family reunions. Do you know that? They depart in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman headed by Christ, the seed of the serpent headed by Satan through Adam and physical birth. These guys are born physically. These are born spiritually out of a physical world and they're reborn. And so you have the children of God, children of the devil. Uh, and when you get to the end of the Bible, you see the family reunion. One is called the new heavens and the new earth where they worship God forever. And one is called the lake of fire. And they're done. It's a black hole. Nothing ever emits from the lake of fire. Be encouraged, okay? And so those of the truth, they will be established forever. A lying tongue has momentary success, but it is limited. Eliminated. Perp uh, point is, don't be a criminal in any way. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God bearing witness of his gifts. And though he is dead, by faith, he still speaks. You can talk when you pass away, look for Abel, and you can find him. He is still there. And so God always has the last word on evil. Amen. He always has the last word. In verse 20, to commit evil, you have to sit down and plan deceit. And so deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, meaning how can I do this and not get caught? How can I do this and not be found out? To cheat, to defraud, to do a con, to lie, to accuse, to betray, to slander, to seduce, to murder, or to steal. One must plan how he's going to do it. You plan to deceive, and then you plan not to uh, plan to escape capture. Those who are of the truth, in verse twenty, counselors of peace have joy. They are not devising how to be in the dark. They're wanting to proclaim and to teach how to be in the light. Uh, a counselor of peace. They are those that do no evil but they're going to try to direct men's heart to what is true. I wanna show you something interesting. Take your finger and go to Matthew 5 
and the initial words of Jesus in his first great sermon, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, you have what are called the beautiful attitudes, the Beatitudes. And this is salvation according to Christ. This is what it looks like in contrast to the day that he was in where you jumped through the hoops of ceremonial law and hope you had done enough to be saved. Christ says, let's come back to the beginning. In verse 3, it is the poor in spirit to where when you say to this person, are you going to heaven? He says, yes. You say, why? He doesn't start reciting all of his conquest on how good he is. He in spirit the Greek says, is a pauper. He has nothing to offer. He is a sinner. He's beaten. And in verse four, then blessed are those who mourn. What are they mourning over? The fact of their being poor in spirit. They know that they're guilty. They know they're sinners. And they have no hope before God in and of themselves. They're going to a funeral and the funeral is theirs. Welcome to Denton Bible, if this is your first Sunday here. Again. And in verse 5, they are now broken. They are literally meek. That's a word used for a stallion that is brought under bit and bridle. They are broken by God. They have yielded to God. They know that they are guilty. And then in verse 6, they need something to sustain them that they don't have. If you don't have... Uh, food and water, you die. These people hunger and thirst for what they will die if they don't get it. And according to verse six, what is it? It is righteousness. They need to be right before God and they don't have it. And so they are desperate. As Revelation will say, ho, everyone that is thirsty, come to the water of life and drink. Come get it without cost. And then in verse 7, after they come and are satisfied by the gift of righteousness, they are now merciful. These are now good attributes. They are merciful. They're loving people because they themselves have been forgiven. And in verse 8, they are pure in heart. They have a sensitivity to sin. And now they want to make sure that nothing shows up in them that would be displeasing. And then... And verse 9, they turn around with what they have and they go from relating to God to relating to other sinners. Blessed are the peacemakers. The saved man, the converted man, the merciful man, the pure in heart, the hungry man that has been satisfied by God's goodness and his forgiveness, they turn around now to their brothers and their sisters, the guys they work with, and they try to be peacemakers to bring them to the knowledge of God to be reconciled. And then this is what you're going to get out of it in verse 10. Blessed are those who have been, what's your word, persecuted. Because that's what happens now as you line up on the wrong side of the world. Now you stand for God and you will be persecuted. But in verse 11, uh, when that happens, and they saw all kind of evil against you, rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets. You now stand in the line of the faithful of God. And so do you see the point Christ is making? Salvation is recognizing what you don't have, coming to God who does. 
seeing your life converted morally and in relationships, loving and pure in heart, and then you turn around to other people and you make it count. You talk to them like the woman at the well going into the city, come meet a man who told me all that I have done. Well, go back here to Proverbs. And so deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace that are always looking to introduce men back to God, they have joy. You know, it was Emily Dickinson who once wrote, if I can restore one fallen robin and to her nest again, I shall not have lived in vain. Just to help somebody. They have joy. Let me show you another verse here. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Turn to it or scroll to it. I never thought I'd say that. But in 1 John chapter 1, John says something remarkable. It's the greatest of all ideas. 1 John 1, 1 through verse 3 is one sentence. What was from the beginning, meaning the Word of God, Christ, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, and the life was manifested. John said, this eternal person became one of us. And we touched him, we talked to him, we looked at him, we beheld him. And in verse 2, we have seen and testify and proclaim to, what's your next word? You. First God showed him to me, and now we're going to show him to you. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us. That we have come into fellowship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who has given us rebirth. But that's not enough. Now we want to proclaim that to you, that you can have fellowship with us, that you can come sit in church next to us and sing our hymns and bless God at your meal, just like we do. Isn't that good? And in verse four, these things we don't just proclaim, but after the church has been founded, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. It is a joy to come to know Christ, but it is an even greater joy to tell others by word and by letter who he is, that you can have fellowship with us and our joy is now complete. It's kind of like an electrical, when you turn on your electricity, it's a circuit. I learned this in my phys ed, okay. That it goes from the power plant, goes down through a wire, turns around and goes back up. It's a circuit, okay. It returns to its source. And that's kind of the way it is with the grace of God. It comes from God to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And then it goes not just to us, it goes through us as we come to know him. And then it goes through us and it goes to others as we tell them. They get converted and we watch their joy 
and it goes back to the glory of God. From God to us, through us to men, and back to God and the glory of God. And our joy is made complete. I've told you the story before. When I came to know Christ, I felt that I had stumbled into King Tut's tomb, that I had found the greatest riches all of my generation that had gotten discouraged about capitalism and was, and, but didn't know what to put in its place. You know, we tried hallucinogens. Boy, that worked. You ever seen Ozzy Osbourne? Okay. Boy, that worked. Um, we tried communism, socialism, the SDS, the Weatherman. We tried, you know, Woodstock, sex in the mud. All right. We tried all this stuff and it didn't work. It's easy to say what you don't like. It's, not, it's harder to say what's true. And so we knew what we didn't like, but we didn't know what the truth was. And when I found the Lord, I said, this is it. You would think this is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what it was. And shortly thereafter, a guy said to me, something happened to you. What was it? And I told him, he said, you're kidding. I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm Church of Christ. I've heard all this stuff. I said, well, I was Methodist. I was just a wet sinner. That's all that I was. A little sprinkled sinner. All right. I said, it's got to get in your heart. You and God have to have a confrontation. You're going to trust him and give your lifetime. Because he's alive. He rose from the dead. His Holy Spirit is among us, sent back to bring us to that knowledge. And you got to make the call. I came back for two-a-day workouts, looked at him in the lobby. I said, you did it. I could tell. Because he smiled. He had never smiled. His name was John Bowles. And he smiled. And he went and told another guy that played center for us, named Clark Lawrence. He trusted Christ. John and Clark. I named my second kid John Clark after them. And uh, they became my best friends. And I found that I had a greater joy from knowing Christ about telling others. And so that's what he means. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but a man of peace is going to counsel people about this is who God is, and this is how to do morality, and this is how to do marriage, and this is how to handle your money, and this is how to handle your mouth, and this is how to handle sexuality, and this is how to handle marriage. And his life is a joy. Well, we keep going right here. In verse 21, no harm befalls the righteous. Now, obviously, we have struggles. But we don't have to worry about our philosophy of life leading us into sin. We don't have to worry about the pure milk of the word somehow getting tainted. God will never lie to us. He'll never lead us astray. No harm befalls the righteous. The apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. God will do me no wrong. I have seen a limit to all perfection, the psalmist said. Thy word is exceeding broad. It is perfect. No harm will befall the righteous. Can you get cancer? Yeah. Can you get hit by a meteorite? It might happen. Can you, guy, run off the road? 
and run headlong into you? We don't understand why, but that can happen. But my lifestyle is not going to lead me into anything that will destroy me. Let me show you another good verse. Look at John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is a lesson that has carried me all of my Christian life. In John 11, Jesus is going to go back to Jerusalem where Lazarus, one of his best friends, has just died. And when he wants to go back, he says in verse 7 of John 11, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You're going to go there again? You're going to let your ministry carry you back into the path of people that so violently reject you. Jesus said in 9, are there not 12 hours in a day? Meaning we have a certain amount of time to work and it's getting shorter every day, every minute. So we have to go to work. Even if we're in jeopardy, we have to go to work. There's 12 hours in a day. If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. He says, boys, we're going to go serve God and we're going to go minister to Lazarus who is dead. What are you gonna do for a dead guy? Just follow along, okay. And we're gonna care for his sisters. So come with me. Don't you know that evil might befall you? Don't worry about it. When a man walks in the light, he does not stumble. God will take care of us as we go back. And that's kind of what the proverb says. No harm befalls the righteous. What does the future hold? I'm 71. I hadn't got no more than 40 more years to live. Okay. What am I going to do with my life? I don't care where I go. I know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek to know God and to make him known. I'm going to seek to bring others to the knowledge of him and teach those that don't know what they can know. Amen. And God will take care of me. He really will. We tell our missionaries, you go out, you be faithful. God will take care of you. And God will take care of you too. And so go back here to the proverb. No harm befalls the righteous. God has his hand on you and you don't have to worry about him dropping the ball. The Bible says he that believeth in Christ will not be disappointed. God will not drop the ball. Even though Jesus only lived to be 33, John the Baptist probably made it 31 and a half. And so you can die early, but it's not through anything that you do. You be faithful. Well, in verse 21, the wicked are filled with trouble. The first murderer criminal in the Bible, who is it? It's the child of Adam and Eve. His name is Cain. He is jealous that his brother's sacrifice was accepted because he offered the shedding of blood, a sacrifice. Cain didn't offer a sacrifice. He just took and there was no sacrificial nature to it. He just threw grain on the altar. And God said to Abel, I accept yours. I will not look upon yours. He didn't like God telling him what to do. 
He didn't like God saying that he did not measure. And he sure didn't like the fact that his brother did. And as John said, for this reason, Cain slew Abel. Why? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. I don't like you. And so he said, I need to talk to you, Abel. And he got him out of way where he thought nobody could see him. And there he killed him. He hid his body and he said, I have planned evil and I have succeeded. And then he came around the presence of God. God in those early days made himself known through a theophany, a physical appearing to early man. And there he said, where's your brother Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? Impudent, impudent little feller. Am I my brother's keeper? Because Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Am I my brother's keeper? Do I need to take care of this weak little fellow like a sheep? And God said, I know where your brother is. His blood cries to me from the ground. I know where you buried him and I know what you did. And his blood cries for justice. And here's the deal. You are gonna be away from my face. You're gonna be separated from me. And what's more, the earth is not going to yield its bounty. Your life is going to be a failure. And what's more, you're gonna to go to the land of Nod. That means wandering. And you're gonna be a vagrant on the earth. And he said, that punishment is too great. Whoever sees me will see me as, a, as, as bad luck and they'll wanna kill me. And that is a very important text. That's why it says in the book of Jude at the end of your Bible about wicked men, they go the way of Cain. He's mentioned in Hebrew 11, the way of Cain. His descendants, the Cain, those of Cain, are those ultimately that are wiped out in the flood. And so, matter of fact, he has a descendant called Lamech uh, that boasts to his wives that he has killed a young man for striking him. I took his life. He said, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, I'll be avenged 77. Don't be afraid of God. You need to be afraid of me. All right, that was Cain. And so this was a bad guy and God highlights him that this is what happens when you refuse God, hate his people, and you hate God. When, when you are taken over by your own dodging of the bullet of your own guilt and you wanna live a life of rebellion, that you are alien to the blessing of God, that life will be difficult and hard and people will want, not wanna name their kids after you. You'll be considered bad luck to even be around them. That life is gonna be real hard. I have talked at times with young people, those that are under 60. <laughs> no, young people I have talked with and I see in them a stiff neck. You ever seen that proverb? He that hardeneth his neck will soon find it broken beyond reproof. You can't fix it. And I have seen this attitude and I've said, son or little girl, you need to write my phone number down because there's going to be a day in the not too distant future, you're gonna to wanna to call me because life is about to get real hard for you. 
marriage, morality, money, relationships, jobs, emotional health. It's about to get real difficult for you. Trust me. Now you take my number and I'll keep your place right here. That'll be $50. Okay. Amen. Am I brilliant or what? Yeah. I have a book called Humility and How I Achieved It. And you'll want to read it before you leave here. Okay. And so he just tells you, the wicked, they are go their cup will overflow with trouble because they are running contrary to the reality of what life is as given by God. You sin against yourself. Jeremiah, your sin has withheld good from you. You're your worst enemy. Well, he goes on here, verse 22. Incidentally, you know what the last words were of John Wilkes Booth? True story. He had those around him as he was dying. Got shot in the barn. Said, lift my hands up. And he looked at his hands. And he said to his hands, uh, vanity, useless, useless. And those were his last words. Useless? My life without God, it was useless. It failed. Well, in verse 22, Here's why you're going to be filled with trouble, because in 22, as a criminal, you're an abomination to God. The term abomination is a term of something that God will not look upon, he will not allow to continue, and he will have it exterminated from his nation. The term is used about idols. It's used about witchcraft. It's used about perversion, murder, uh, and it's used about crooked businessmen. Uh, a false balance is an abomination to God. Whenever you're going to weigh out, I'll give you this amount of grain for this amount of this amount of gold or silver. Whenever you have a false balance, that you have a false shekel, all right, and you make it uh, uh, a lighter weight than it should be. Now you make it a heavier weight than it should be. You don't have to. You don't have to give as much, and, and you take advantage. It's like being shortchanged by a taxi driver in Mexico that you don't know the currency or the language, and he shortchanges you. That's an abomination to take advantage of a man. And so that always involves wrath and destruction. And so verse 22 or 21, you're going to have harm. And in verse 22, because your lying lips are an abomination to God, the only one that you need to please. But those who are of the truth, in 22, those who deal faithfully are God's delight. That I delight in you, I can bless you, I can lift up my face upon you, I can open my hand to you, because in my aiding you, I glorify myself, and that's to the good of all humanity. There is a verse in the book of Numbers before Israel. They stay at Mount Sinai for about a year, and in Numbers chapter 10, they start moving out to the promised land. And in Numbers 6, 
God says, here's how you're going to move, the order you're going to move in. This is not going to be the Oklahoma land rush. Okay, we're going to move orderly. And Aaron, nobody's going to move until you say move. And you're going to lift up a prayer. And I want you to memorize this prayer. It goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up the light of his countenance. May God be pleased with you and then give you peace. Now, what that means is, I want the best for you. I want God to bless you and keep you and to smile on you and to lift up the light of his countenance upon you. How do you do that? It's not by being wicked. God will not be his own devil and bless rebellion and mix people up. What that prayer means is like, may the Lord be able to bless and keep you. And may the Lord be able to lift up the light of his countenance upon you. May he be able to give you peace, okay? Just talked to one of the young guys about to leave, head off to the University of Oklahoma, going to go to school. And I said, be careful, you're going to a foreign place, Oklahoma. All right, that's where Kendall's from, okay? It's Oklahoma. And uh, it ain't the colleges that we went to, and they were, could be precarious when I was going. They're real precarious now. Amen? You better watch where you send your kid. And so I said, you live a life that God is free to lift up the light of his countenance on you. And that means you're going to have to stand tough against some people. And so when I was young, you went to college and they kind of helped shepherd you through life. Not no more. As a matter of fact, not even the military. Not no more. And so if you're not rooted in the Bible, you haven't got a cut dog's chance. You really don't. And so you be that kind of person that God can bless. You know, when my son, I think I've told you this before, I had a son, still do, okay. And uh, his name's John. He's a Fort Worth detective, he's a policeman, and he does property crime. So if you steal down there, he comes to get you. But he was the big eight stolen base champion, career champion. He could fly. And uh, when he was little, he would just all of a sudden get overcome by running. It would just hit him, kind of like Forrest Gump. You know, I'll be running, and then you just hit him. And he would just take off running, just brrr, like this. And he would always get his shoulders out over his feet and do a face plant, bing, like this. So whenever he'd take off, you know, Benjamin would say, well, there he goes. <laughs> so I chase after him, you know, bing, plant, pick him up. And uh, one time we went to a ranger game and put on by the YMCA, and it was YMCA night, and there were school buses from all around at the ranger game with kids come see the rangers. And after the game, all the buses were loading up to head back. And uh, John, just through watching the game, was overwhelmed by runicity. Okay. And so he takes off running. Okay. And this was just last summer. I mean, he was, he was 42 years old. <laughs> he's a little bitty guy. And so he's probably about eight years old. And he just took off 
running. Ben said, there he goes. And so I knew what was going to happen. And he ran up to a whole bunch of kids that were getting on buses. And uh, most of them were African-American kids. They were getting on buses to go head on back to Dallas. And he ran up in their midst and did what he always does, a face plant, hit on the gravel and just skidded along the gravel. So I'm coming behind him. And before I get to him, this black kid, he goes, whoa, buddy. And he helps him up and he dusts him off. And John's, he said, boy, you got some wheels. And he was saying, man, you can fly. And he just, you okay, buddy? Yeah. And I'm standing there and I'm watching this kid just be kind to my kid, just being a nice guy. And I looked at him and all I thought was, where do you want to go to college? Okay. What, you want a car? I give you a car. All right. I, my face was lifted up on that boy. My hand was extended to this day. If he ever called me and said, I'm the guy that picks your son up, all he's got to do is name it. All right. I'm like Don Corleone toward him. Whatever he wants. You got enemies? They're my enemies. All right. You want to be that kind of person that God says, this guy, this girl is in my interests. And the better they do, the more glory I'm going to get. And so that's what Moses said, I want you to be a people that God can bless. And so the wicked are going to have trouble. Those of the truth, uh, they're going to have a wind beneath their wings. It's going to have difficulties. God will make sure, but he's there for you. In verse 23, uh, this is a little sad part. The prudent man conceals knowledge. The heart of fools proclaims folly. Fools don't only believe wrongly and live wrongly. Fools proclaim wrongly. They preach their idiocy. They herald their error out there. Uh, all of us who are parents have been scared about sending our kids somewhere and the pressure of those that can infect them in school, those who can lead them astray. The companion of wise men will be wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul said that certain guys glory and their shame, and their God is their belly. They respond to how they feel and what they lust for. And so I got a book by a guy named Peter Watson. You can see the covers off of it. I've read it I don't know how many times. It's not like any other book. It's not quick reading. It's simply called The Modern Mind. And it starts with January 1st, 1900, and goes through the end of this century. And looks how, this is the century of blood. We coined the term world wars in our century. And it has gone down. And the primary reason, according to this guy, and rightly so, and he writes it on the back of the book, he said, this century may be understood as the period during which 
the scientific method colonized all modes of thought and changed the way thinking is done. 20th century man doesn't just think about wrong things. He thinks wrongly because when you know who God is and who man is and what truth is, you can look at all the decisions of life and you can think rightly. Amen. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season. Leaf doesn't, leaf doesn't wither, whatever he does, it prospers. But when you get rid of God, and whenever you define things only by science, what you can touch and feel, and if you believe there's nothing above you that you have become God now, now you change Sigmund Freud and how you see human beings. You change in how you see morality. You change in how you see feminine, how you see masculine. Can you even change in how you see gender? You can. Everything changes. And so he says, the scientific method colonized all modes of thought. You could say that the scientific method metastasized and infected all areas of thought. And that is a very simple reason why we're having problems. The most important sentence in the history of the human race is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the stage by which the drama took place, earth. Said light, flora, fauna, man, the king, don't disobey or die. Obey and live, done took two chapters. Chapter three, the mess up. And we've lived with it until Christ returns. And so the text says the problem with fools in 23 is they don't know how to shut their mouth. They yap. And you've got to be careful about what you hear. George Washington, before he stepped out of office to the next guy, who was it? Adams? Adam. Then later Thomas Jefferson, all these guys, he was, his last words were, beware of Europe. Because he watched what Europe had done by the late 18th century. Europe had gotten rid of God in the French Revolution. Uh, Germany was heading there and their ideology, but they had gotten rid of God and they had put man in his place, humanism, they had renamed the months after nature. They had shut down all the churches. Did y'all know that? The French shut down all the churches and made them temples of reason. Got rid of the Bible and they installed Robespierre, Voltaire, and all the other French Enlightenment guys. They had even gotten rid of a seven-day week because it reflected the creation of God. And they now had a 10-day week and the culture fell apart. And they had no sense of what was right and wrong now. And so it's like the jungle. Who takes over in the jungle? The biggest killer. And here came the French uh, leaders that took over. And if you disagreed with them, they invented a term. It was called the guillotine. And they could take your head off very cleanly. And it ended up, it fell apart. Napoleon took over and plunged Europe into war. The same thing happened in Russia. They got rid of God. They put Lenin and Karl Marx in its place. And then Joseph Stalin that killed 20 million 
Europeans. China, Chairman Mao. Uh, Cuba, Castro. Southeast Asia, uh, same thing. Pol Pot, you had done it. You had the commies take over, and uh, it was a disaster. It lasted 70 years and collapsed. Well, what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. And that's why Washington said, beware of what's happening. Don't you get sucked into that. The French produced a series of volumes called the French Encyclopedia of Thought. Massive tome of life without God that went throughout all of France. Anybody remember Francis Schaeffer? I watched his ministry kind of, he started in the late 60s, on through the 70s. And he, he saw this coming because he was from Switzerland and France. And he saw it. You cannot get rid of God, put man in its place, and not have bloodshed, violence, and horror. It won't work. And he said, we're heading there. It's real easy to get rid of God. The problem is what you're going to put in his place. And so revolutions are easy. Constitutions are difficult. And he said, we're getting there. And in his book called, it was from Ezekiel, God, we are rotting away in our sins. How should we then live? And so he named his series, How Should We Then Live? In light of what's happening in the 70s. And heck, we regard those as the good old days now. But how should we then live? And then the last book, he had 12 films on it, I think. And in the last one, he said, here's when it's going to get dangerous. When you get rid of God and you now have society controlled by money makers, by politicians, educators, and artists. And then you have what was called the media. Now, no one knew what that meant then. The media. And he said, they're going to be able, with present communication, to put a spin on truth. And they're not going to present truth. They're going to produce truth according to their assumptions. And he showed a mock scene of a riot. And then one commentator said, courageous policemen stood in their place while the violence came and tried to overthrow it. Many of them went down and to them we give our thanks. Then he showed another presentation. Courageous students wanting to let their minds be known were beaten down by the police. And once again, our liberties have taken a backseat. And there were two presentations of the same scene. And he said, this is going to happen with what's going on in the media. And it was like a prophecy. He died about five years later, but that was his prophecy. Beware, not just of atheism, but of the media that is going to control the thinking of the country. Isn't that interesting? Well, fools proclaim folly. And the reason they can do it, listen to this. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. You don't have quick results of evil. Therefore, people think that it's okay. But those who are of the truth, in verse 23, they conceal knowledge. 
And the author here does a little word play. Normally the term conceal is used in the context of evil, of concealing error and concealing sin. He uses it in the sense of this is how the righteous treats truth. You conceal evil because it's precious and you don't want it to get out. You try to hide it as to what happens. You clean up the blood. You make sure there's no fingerprints. You make sure that no one saw you. You get the surveillance cameras and you conceal what you did. Evil men regard sin like Gollum does the ring. Okay. You remember what Gollum says about the ring? Precious, precious. They love their sin. And that word is used toward the righteous. Fools proclaim folly, but the righteous, they conceal knowledge. They clutch their Bible to their bosom and they won't let anybody get to it. It is their most precious thing. How many of you, after you've watched the news for a little bit and you've said, I just got to go get my Bible and get alone, go sit on the swing and read anywhere just to get my compass back on the greatest of all ideas that the order of the universe is from an infinite personal God to whom man bears an image and he is loving and good and he has made himself known and the majesty and the prophecies of the Bible fulfilled in the incarnation of God coming into this world. Not just into this world to talk to us, but to die for what we did, to rise victorious. And by the third person of the Trinity, invading our lives and bringing us to the knowledge of him, saving us and someday raising us, returning and making all things new. That's the ultimate idea. Without Christ, we are a race that is just out looking for him. If there were no Jesus, we would dream of Jesus. And so you clutch your Bible. Michael Faraday, the father of electricity, devoted Christian would show, uh, he would do like stunts with electricity to show about power you couldn't see and about what it could do. He was a devoted Christian. Michael Faraday was asked at the end of his life, as his life was coming to an end, they said, Mr. Faraday, what are your speculations for the future? And Faraday said, I have no place for speculations on the issue of my soul. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him until that day. Amen. Yeah, life is not determined over what you can see and what you can prove because you can show the math, the material, but you can't show the meaning. For that, you need a Bible. So if you get thrown in jail, don't call me because I told you right here. Father in heaven, we pray as we have looked at this most simple but elegant of texts. Do right, and your countenance will be lifted up. If you simply will follow me and know my love and know my blessing, 
and then you will be able to go out and have your joy complete by talking to others as opposed to the fools. And Lord, we know that uh, in our day, the words of, of a fool are like a, an ember upon the dry grass of Texas after two months of drought. And it will spread like wildfire. The gospel message is always sown among either hard soil, rocky soil, crowded soil, that the world does not quickly acquiesce to the message of God, but it will flee wonderfully after the notion of evolution. It will chase after the notion of, uh, of no final truth. It will desperately love the idea that I can define who I am as opposed to God made them male and female. And so we are in a world that loves lies. We did too until you opened our eyes to the eternal truth of our creator, our communicator, our deliverer, and our savior. We were among them too. So God, I pray that this place, this little island here between Nottingham and 380, that it would always be occupied by those who are immigrants in a rootless culture, Christians, and that there always might be a place that men might find truth from the eternal word of God, the book, the Bible. And Father, if there's a boy or a girl or a man or a woman that has not responded in their soul to what they intellectually have heard, truth, that this day they could open their heart to Christ and ask him to come into their lives and subdue it and take it over and to ask from the depth of their being and that they could experience what men cannot see. In Jesus' name, amen.